0: Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every month to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to Episode 109. The Hooptown Youth League regular season just finished with over 3,300 kids participating. It's amazing to see packed gyms all over the city, with families cheering in the stands, high school kids running score clocks, and parents, grandparents, and community members on the sidelines coaching. Seeing this turnout makes me a believer that Spokane is Hooptown, USA. It's heartwarming to see how many people have volunteered their time so kids can play hoops. And this is just the beginning. Now that regular season's over, we're launching a full tournament season for teams that want to play in more competitive local games. Every month, we'll have one major tournament, and every weekend there's not a tournament, we launched a new concept called Rivalry Game Days. For only $40, teams can pair up against teams of their choice and have the gym, ref, score clock operator, and gym supervisor all there to make sure they have a great experience. If you want to get caught up on the latest, check out HooptownUSA.com. Now this month's guest wears many hats. Tyler Lesher is the head athletic trainer for UCLA men's basketball program. He's a certified orthopedic physician extender and is also a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Before joining UCLA staff, he worked in the NBA and the G League. Tyler earned his doctorate in health science and exercise leadership, focusing on reducing systemic inflammation through nutrition and exercise. With his extensive basketball and medical experience at the college and pro level, I thought he'd be the perfect person to chat with about reducing knee pain and inflammation. Here's Tyler Lesher. Tyler, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast.
1: How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How's the season going so far? It's going. You know, what are we only a couple practices in no games yet. So just the guys are practicing a lot and they, they don't have that opponent other than themselves. So you know how that is. It just kind of gets that that grind going on where they, they're starting to want more.
0: Oh, yeah. That was always my favorite part is when you finally can start beating up on
1: the opponents instead of just your teammates. Man, it's just like the guys are starting to like salivate for us. We're like, we need a team. We need a exhibition something. So now with your
0: background, you're an athletic trainer and a strength coach. So what ultimately made you decide
1: to go more of the athletic training route? That's a great question. I was always, by trade an athletic trainer, but as I kind of got into working in the NBA, I was thrown more into the strength and conditioning side of things and actually fell in love with it. I thought it was incredible and didn't actually want to leave it. But just kind of as like things just naturally progress, and looking for higher positions, and how I wanted to progress myself, you know, just athletic training just kind of became my my staple. That being said, like strengthening conditioning is a huge piece of my foundation of athletic training. I would go to say like you know probably upwards of seventy five to eighty percent of my athletic training foundation, or you know, treatment plans is is revolved around strengthening conditioning uh, principles. So. You know, it's kind of hard to say like why I went one route versus the other. Um, I'm sure, like you know, maybe one day in the future, if an awesome strength and conditioning job opens up, I'd love to test the waters with something like that. But for now, just kind of the world of athletic training has opened up a lot of doors for me, and you know, luckily enough, here I'm at UCLA and absolutely love it.
0: I've had a couple people on that have worked in the college setting and the MBA setting. Tell me some of the. Differences, some of the similarities, some of the things that you really enjoy about each.
1: Obviously, with college, your schedule is way more regulated. You know that you are going to play on Thursday, play on Saturday during regular season conference play. You know, so it's very direct. You you can plan, you can schedule. NBA is not like that. You can play on Monday, you can play Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day, Sunday. You know, you don't have a life. It just it circles around that revolving NBA schedule. So like those are like the two biggest things. And one of the reasons why, you know, I started to go down towards the college path a little bit was just having a little more autonomy over my own schedule. You know, things that I like more about the NBA, the relationship with the players here you're dealing with kids versus there you're dealing with, you know, they're grown men, they're professionals, right? Like you can have a bit of a friendship with them that's um you can't really have at the the college level, right? It's like sure, like you know, we can we can talk, we can bond, but there there's that wall. Right. Of like, Hey, like you are still a child. Like I'm here to mentor you more than hang out with you. Right. Versus the NBA level. It's, it's just very different. I feel like there's a lot more relationships and bonds that, that are formed at the NBA level. So um, those are two of the biggest things. Yeah, just the travel, the travel differences is, is incredible.
0: Oh, I can only imagine. And that has to be fun when you're young though, and possibly single being able to go see
1: all those new cities Exactly. And then that's what it was. And people always say, you know, the NBA is a a single man's job because just the time commitment that you're gone, just constantly traveling at work, whatever it might be. It, it, It was fun when I was, when I was young and fresh out of college and learning how to be an athletic trainer and apply everything that I had learned. And, you know, it's just a, it's a different world. Right. But, you know, a lot of late nights, early mornings and you know, hop on one flight and go into the next city, play a game, rinse, watch, repeat. So it's different. It's it's very nice now that I'm older to, you know, have a set schedule and, you know, I got, I don't have to worry about the guys so much. It's like, hey, they're going to class, which gives me more time to do the things that I need to do. It's two completely different worlds, but you just try and do your best to give them enough insight to where they know what they're walking into, you know, should they get drafted or step into that next, you know, whether they're overseas or G League, whatever it might be. So. My background has been good enough to give them a little bit of insight and prepare them. So we'll hopefully they take some off of it and, and can value that and progress from there.
0: Well, your background and skill set is perfect for today's talk because I wanted to chat about knee pain and basketball players. And just start out, why do you think it's so common for basketball players to experience anterior knee pain?
1: A couple of different things. It's hard to really just say anterior knee pain as one thing when it can be you know upwards of 30 different things right I and mean, there's there's so much that can potentially go wrong with the knee it could be patellofemoral tracking it could be that you just have muscle imbalances going on something could be going on at the ankle that can cause like a force displacement which lands on the knee movement patterns are huge from what i'm seeing as kids especially like the freshmen and guys that are coming in that they're just not taught how to move efficiently so there, there's a variety of different things that can go on at the knees but the biggest thing that i'm seeing with our guys is you know when when you break down their individual movements they can't move effectively and they can't move efficiently you give them a basketball on a court and they're fluid right like they can move so smooth and they're awesome but with individual specific movements it's like man like you know their ankles are locked up their feet are locked up they can't move how our bodies are supposed to move so that's a huge piece to it and it can all go to any different way right it could be tendonitis it could be fat pad issues it could be overdeveloped quads we're seeing that a lot for from kids that just spent forever uh front squatting and whatever their background might be you know there's a million different things at play but you know movement inefficiencies are probably the biggest thing that i see so far
0: Tell me about nutrition when I hear about inflammation and knowing your background and having a solid nutrition background, how much of that has
1: to do with how they're fueling their bodies? You know, that's a million dollar question. And it's it's hard to truly like pinpoint it, right? With our food choices today, we're creatures of the environment that we bring in, right? Our food choices are not the best. And even when we try to eat healthy foods, it's like how much of it are truly healthy. So it, it's hard to say, You know, what exactly we're bringing in or putting into our bodies that truly affects our inflammatory response within our bodies. I would go as far to say it has a pretty significant or profound effect because if you're continuously eating, whether it's eating poorly, drinking, or even you could go as far as like, you know, not sleeping, anything like that, you're going to have an inflammatory response. And one of the ways that I like to think about things, you know, if you think of your veins and arteries as like gas lines. Right. And our blood is just gas pumping through. Well, if there's a break in that gas line from like an inflammatory response or from a, uh, an injury and you fuel with inflammatory food, it's like lighting the gas on fire and it's just going to go straight to the injured area. So, and this is where you see like a lot of guys, mainly more pros. You don't see as much with, with these college kids, but what I see is this like Their knees are way more inflamed. They're coming in in the morning, and they're they're tight. They have restricted motion. Uh, You know, they just couldn't get past their typical knee pain that you see every single day. And it's like, well, we're treating it. We're doing this, that, and the other. Nothing's quite improving it, or it's getting you well enough to get on the core. You're feeling good, and then all of a sudden, it's like everything gets reversed. So you can definitely peel back into the nutrition piece and look into it. Look at their sleeping patterns. Look at how they're drinking and everything. You know, and just kind of find different things that might play a role into it.
0: Well, and I have to suspect the high school athlete is even worse off than the college athlete because I'm sure at UCLA, is similar to Gonzaga, which is we have great snacks in the locker rooms. Yeah. We do handhelds that are higher quality selections. They have post-practice meals that have fruits and vegetables and lean meats versus a lot of the high school athletes. I can only imagine some of the McDonald's stops that they're doing that exactly. probably the majority of their fueling. So what are maybe the top two or three things that you'd want to include in a diet to help fight off inflammation? And what are the top two or three things that you
1: might want to avoid? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the things that we're going to incorporate the most of are obviously, like our, our lean meats, I think that's what a huge thing. And I, I'm a big proponent of fish, shrimp, fish, um, tuna, stuff like that. Anything that's going to be that good, white, lean cut of meat, big fan of chicken. I do think that red meat has its place. Um, with everything, I'm definitely not like an anti red meat person. I'm a big lover of steak and cheeseburgers, whatever it might be looking at all the anti-inflammatory foods as far as like the starches, like broccoli and berries. I think berries are some of the best foods. You know we're talking raspberries, blackberries, blueberries. What are some of the foods that you'd want to minimize or avoid? Definitely minimizing anything with added sugar. So that's like the biggest thing, right? And you you see this with our players a lot. Like what's the one thing that they tend to go for so much? And that's like the juices, right? The high fructose type things. You know, they want something that has a really good taste. And and we get that with sugar. You know, that's just like the biggest thing of it. Um, You know, these guys, they burn through so many calories, especially when they're coming through high school and in college and the pros, that you have to refuel them properly. You know, I would say for just like Joe Blow out there to like probably minimize the breads and stuff like that. But for these athletes, you know, really the biggest thing that I tell them is like, hey, look, just be cognizant about what you put in your body. Obviously, stay away from the fast foods as much as you can and just think like if it sounds healthy, it's probably healthy. If it sounds unhealthy, it's most likely unhealthy. Right. Like I tell people all the time, like eating healthy is not a hard thing to do. Right. For the most part, like, you know, when something's good for you, and when something's bad for you, nobody's ever gone to a fast food restaurant and said, hey, this is good for you. It's just the way it is. But those are the biggest things right there. And, you know, the other thing that I'm seeing with our guys is like they just don't have enough water intake. Right. And it's because they they tend to go for the sugar drinks, whatever they might be, when just simply like hydrating enough could could do them wonders.
0: You mentioned the movement piece of it when athletes come in and you could see how they move smooth on the court, but you get them in the weight room and you might challenge them in a different plane of motion or a different range and you see some deficiencies. I'd love to chat about the mobility piece because I was on your Instagram page and you have a ton of great info in there. And a lot of it has to do with mobility, flexibility, stability. I would love to kind of start out and talk about where you see some of the limitations and how that could
1: contribute to knee pain. What I see a lot with athletes that come in that have like that kind of anterior knee pain, we'll just call it like patellar tendonitis, okay, just for, for the sake of it. But what I often see is that their ankles are super locked up and they, they can't get into dorsiflexion. And if they do, it's very rigid and it's very, you know, there's no real other word for it other than just like locked, right? They cannot get their knee over their toe. That's one key. The other thing that I find is that their hip lacks extension and it lacks internal, external rotation. It's usually because you'll find that between guys who are one-footed versus two-footed jumpers, right? Like they'll have a different imbalance, but usually they still lack internal, external rotation. But to really dive into the ankle, they just don't have the ability to handle that force that they put into the ground that comes back up. And you know, so their ankles locked up and then their hips are locked up and they don't move like in a perfect kind of knees over toes or knees over our fourth fifth toe every single jump. Right. And that's not feasible to ask them every time they they go out and jump on the cores to think, hey, all right, put your knees out over like, you know, as if you're trying to develop a perfect squat pattern. Right. It's just not feasible. But those are the things that you can work towards, right? And develop the muscles that kind of increase their movement into that pattern to get the best bang for their buck. So I'm a big fan of mobility. Obviously, that's what my Instagram is pretty much dedicated to. But you know, when you're looking at their movement strategies and how to piece it all together, I really tend to look one at the knee, see what is actually going on from like a tibial internal, external rotation. Because a lot of people forget that our tibia is supposed to move and our fibular head is supposed to rotate around as we go through a squat or whatever it might be, right? So I like to look at the spot of the pain first. And then from there, if that, if that's moving all right, and then branch apart. So then I'm going to look at ankle. How does the dorsiflexion, how's the inversion, eversion, how's the distal fibular moving? And then obviously going up towards the hip, where are they lacking? Do they have good extension? Do they have good flexion? Are they stable in those two uh, positions? And then how they are with internal external rotation. And again, same thing, like you just find these guys that, you know, they're strong and everybody says they have a big core, a good core, but, you know, you put them in a, a side plank and they just start crumbling, right? Or you put them in a adductor leg lift and they just don't have the strength with it. So it's a bunch of different pieces that can all, you know, have a place into dealing with these knee pains. But I like to look where the injury is first or where the pain is first and then just spread out from there.
0: If it is an ankle mobility issue, if they're having a hard time getting in that dorsiflexion, eversion, inversion, mm-hmm. whatever that might be, is it as simple as just doing a traditional calf, soleus, ankle stretch that you might see with your hands against the wall? Or are there other things that we should be
1: having our players do? I think stretching is only useful if it's done intentionally by the athlete and practitioner at the same time, right? And then I go as far to say, like, when I say intentionally, it's continuous, focused intent on the pressure at hand or the movement at hand, and then even pairing that with breath work. A lot of times when you use the term stretching with people, people think I'm pushing you to your end range of motion, and then I'm sitting there holding it, right? Well, think about what happens when you do that with uh, a normal person or even an athlete, whoever. It's not comfortable. Right. So if it's not comfortable, it's going to activate their sympathetic nervous system, which is their fight or flight. They're just going to stop and freeze. My theory on stretching is that you have to be in a parasympathetic state to where you get into that range of motion and it's, it might be strong, but it's not painful. Right. And you're still able to breathe, have like, you know, deep inhale, exhale, but think about the, the pull at hand. And then next time when you go to it, it sends a signal to the brain hey, this is a safe position. We've been here before. We can do that again. And then maybe push a little bit further, right? So one of the things I like to do, especially with the guys, is always remember, gravity is your best friend. There's nothing like taking a kettlebell and holding it in, into a deep squat and letting that thing pull you down, right? And just you know, pushing your knees over to your toes, maybe having a band around your uh, or a mini band around your knees and just driving your knees out, right? And just letting... Gravity do its thing, and again, just focal breathing, and just sitting, you know, in and out through your nose, stimulating that parasympathetic nervous system, and then rinse, wash, repeat. Right? It could be a variety of different things, but I've seen more guys become mobile and stronger with with that time under tension piece and breathing component that just increases their mobility like crazy. And, you know, that's kind of where you get that mobility and stability point. You know, high level mobility training is strength training at the end of the day, in, in my opinion. So. Um, that's that's definitely where I roll with on that point. And what about that
0: anterior hip that you mentioned? What would be a, a good option for an athlete to be able to create that mobility stability in that
1: area? Yeah. So I think the one of the best things that our players can do from a young age, even moving forward, is learn how to effectively sit in a 90-90 position, the right that that 90-90 shin box. I even have a lot of guys on my team that can't even get into that position because their hip immediately feels like it's going to cramp, right? They just can't do it. What I find is that the more they do just kind of like, you know, knee, knee wipers is what I call just kind of back and forth, um, and then eventually go into loaded movement with it, even going into full extension with it. So it's, uh, you know, going from like a 90-90 into a hip lift. I, I think that can be a huge piece for opening up the hips, Especially that anterior hip. I'm also a big fan of just getting into a you know rear foot elevated split squat with the leg behind you. Again, holding a kettlebell and dropping, or even letting go of that kettlebell, but like actively reaching up over the head, like stretching our uh, anterior fascial lines, everything like that. But again, it has to be a deep position with a high reach, with intentful breathing on that position. And again, that's that. I think that's where you get the most bang for the buck. But the the biggest thing you run into with these guys is the time piece. Are they willing to spend the time in the position within two? Are they going to just put their hand in the air or are they actively reaching? Like, am I trying to touch the ceiling above, right? Am I getting my knee as low to the ground as I can? You know, it's truly being, you know, having that tensegrity piece that is is often missed with uh, with these guys as they go through the movement.
0: Tell me about frequency. Is this something that they're doing at all their lifts? Is this something they're doing pre-practice, post-practice? When do you have your guys working on the mobility of the ankles and the hips?
1: Yeah, so every day um, with me, I, I have a, a variety of mobility exercises that are at hand. I used to write up a different workout, like a mobility workout, every day before practice. But we re- recently started using our Sparta data from our force plates. And we were able to get a lot of good data from that that we could identify, you know, if a player has a risk of injury or whatever it might be or if they – where they have different uh, restrictions, right? If they're like a just, – let's just say a, a normal freshman, you see that they hinge more than they squat. Um, they're very anterior chain dominant. You know, I'm able to use that data and then prescribe a running list of exercises that, that they can do every day. So it's borderline. They can come in, do an activation series with me. Uh, whether that's a mobility flow and then straight into their corrective exercises that help their jump and then will also help their performance hopefully decrease their risk of injury then they go lift so they're already primed up for the lift obviously after the lift they're even more uh, neuromuscular sound and then go straight to the court so hopefully that all plays a giant you know path into reducing injury and increasing performance
0: When your guys are experiencing a little flare up, if they are experiencing some of that patellar tendonitis, how do you adjust their lifts? Are they selecting different exercises? Are they just taking the day off? How
1: are you addressing that? Definitely not taking days off. They have to be really, really flared up to have a day off like that. A lot of it's just exercise change up. You know, maybe instead of they're doing like full range of motion stuff, maybe we hit some ISOs that day. I am. Learning or trying to experiment with different forms of isometric uh, movements versus movement-based stuff, you know, and just the different tempos. Um, so I I do like some isos, but I'm just you know I'm just kind of in the world of experimenting right now. But I'm seeing as I work on their fascial lines more and different fascial movements, so to speak, that they're able to get a lot of reduced pain with these movements. So it's really interesting. Like I said, it's something new. Um, it's kind of branching away from just, you know, here, let's do some spanner squats, you know, or something like that for you know, where you're just holding for 45 seconds, but doing more like deep forward lunge with a, you know, overhead reach, actively reach, and then immediately following that into a reverse lunge with a, like you're trying to grab your toes and making it like a fluid movement and seeing how that movement strategy can impact their, their knee pain you know, obviously there's the, the variety of things that we can use as far as like just general modalities, uh, you know, grass and whatever might be, but really, yeah, I've just been playing around with different movement strategies and seeing how that impacts these guys. And, you know, really as as I unlock their hips and their ankles, it's, it's crazy to see how much more their knee pain goes down, right. They're able to get into more deeper ranges of motion and then they're feeling better with it. So it just takes a lot of work on their, on their part. You know, I tell these guys all the time, like the days of just walking into the training room and laying on the table saying, fix me are over with, you know, like I make them go through a movement series before they get on the table. Then once they're on the table, they might be on it for five, maybe 10 minutes. And then, Hey, let's start moving. You know, I'm a very movement based guy. Who is it? Hippocrates back in the day, movement is medicine. So it's just, they're right then. I still, I think they're still right now. Um, it's just taking that and running. What about
0: players that are starting out their career, they don't have knee pain? You mentioned the mobility, make sure that the ankles and the hips are functioning well. Are there different strength emphasis that you should be placing on high school athletes as they start weight programs, certain movement patterns or exercises
1: that you think would be crucial for them to incorporate? For sure. I mean, I think with anybody that's just starting to work out, lift, whether you're an athlete or whoever, like you should be able to do the uh, the movement unloaded before you start loading it. That rarely, if ever, happens, right? Nobody ever says, let me let me see you do a squat and then puts on 135 pounds or something like that. It's just, hey, here's 135 pounds. Go squat it and we'll fix it as it goes. It, that's just not functional. It's not feasible. You're setting themselves up for disaster and then you're setting whoever's going to take care of them up for a disaster as well. Uh, so like that, that's a big piece. You know, hammer the big movements. How is their gait? How's their hinge? How's their squat? How's their lunge? you know just just look at the basic things and if you can get these guys to master these movements at a young age unloaded and then gradually load them like th- i think that's got to be like the the simple but best recipe for them but that's that's not the world we live in right like we need bigger faster stronger better now not only now we needed it like 5 days ago you know so it's just we got to add weight we got to start you know having to move more whatever it might be and it's like we're just constantly playing a catch up game with it you know, so it's, it's different, but I, I think the biggest thing is just hammer the the basic movements and then slowly progress the the weights from there. You know, if they can tolerate, obviously some people are better movers than others. And if that's the case, then you can probably load them quicker than, than the others, but spending enough time with, you know, an individual person or client to see where their movement strategy is and and how they move with each position is very necessary.
0: Well, you touched on the idea of modalities earlier.
1: How does vibration fit into your thought process? For the longest time, I was not a vibration guy. I'm starting to play around with it more, but I, I think hypervolts, guns, all that stuff, like, is, is good for, like, an immediate, like, pain relief or whatever it might be. But I've been getting more into, like, the vibration plates and adding movement on top of it, right? Like, being in a split squat with your forward foot on it and going through different ranges of motion, you know, dropping into like a, like it's a split squat lunge, but like adding an overhead reach, just just playing with different things and and seeing how the guys like it. Same thing if you had a, you know, massage gun, say you're hitting your abduct or something like that, instead of just standing there and just, you know, having it go over your glue over and over, but like adding movement with it and seeing how that plays because you need the fibers to stretch and move how they're supposed to. So like, wouldn't it make sense to add the vibration with said movement and, and seeing how that manipulates things. So I like vibration. It's I definitely think there's a piece to it. It's a very base level to just like having somebody get on a trampoline and doing like a rebounding type thing where they're just jumping and jumping. You kind of get the same fluid flow with that. Like I said, everything has its peace and time and I'm starting to warm up to more vibration stuff.
0: Well how about ice? Where does that fit into
1: your player's schedule? <laughs> I like ice for two scenarios. I like it in game readies because I like the compression component and it usually helps the player's pain. And the second piece is I like cold water immersion, but up to here above the nipple line. Players hate that, right? They, they don't like that sensation. They don't like going in there. A lot of guys are like, no, I'm barely getting in past my knees. I think to have a truly systemic response to where you're going to nix the inflammatory response, you need to be in at least past your diaphragm up and, and, and be in there. Again, controlling your breathing. And, you know, I was talking to somebody today and I said, you'll you'll never see somebody who's soft versus not like until you throw them in an ice tub, right? And see how long they can hold in. The, the guys that can sit there and hold it and own it, um, you know, they, they're the more like mentally tough guys, but they can sit there and own it versus other guys that just bounce right out of there. But I do love a good ice up to the nipple line, sit there slow and controlled 10 to 15 minutes, let that inflammatory response chill out and then get out and then go from there have you messed around with contrast showers at all yeah i do like contrast contrast showers you know it's kind of up and down how much is the water really doing for us other than just like hitting our skin but i am a huge fan i think that one of the best things that we can do is have this is a perfect world scenario infrared sauna you know that gets up to like 200 degrees and then a cold plunge right next to it and going back and forth. I, I think that's not only the the future, but like, it's, it's kind of, you start to see people like get onto it. Now um, having that recovery contrast of like having a huge sauna and then a cold plunge right next to it and just going back and forth. And I've done it a handful of times and the film, like new man after that, it's, it's by far, I think the best thing.
0: Okay. One more modality to throw at you.
1: knee strap that you see a lot of athletes using. Patellar straps, patellar straps. It's a band aid. If it means my athlete can play pain free, I'm all for it. But it's a band aid. At the end of the day, we still have to fix the problem, whatever it might be. If if it's something that can get them through pain free to where they can practice, they can learn, they can work. You know, especially as you see guys coming back from like you know ACLs, right, where they where they're taking a third of their patella, they're most likely going to have tendonitis after that. I think it's it's fine just to get them through. But at the end of the day, like you know, the other. However many hours you're working with those kids, you better be working on their movement strategies and and how to improve that so they're not relying on that thing. I, I, I see it a lot where guys just they they want to throw it on because it feels good. And it's like yeah, that's great, but we we really need to address the the problem and not just bandaid it.
0: I love that being able to maybe help them out in the moment, but also think big picture and how do you actually not just yeah. look at the symptom but the cause of it.
1: Absolutely, that's and that that's exactly where I fall with it.
0: You know, I've been traveling a little bit, and it's amazing how my knees kind of bug me when I sit on a plane for too long, or my Mm -hmm. lower legs just feel like they they're collecting fluid. How are you addressing that with your guys when they have that travel schedule every other week, being on the road?
1: Well, there's a couple different things like that I can take and learn from, and this is what makes like, you know, I guess like a high major school high major versus low major, whatever it might be, or even like in the G League versus the NBA. You know, when we're in the G League. You're flying commercial, right? It's like you might be lucky to get an exit row. Same thing with like a when I was at FAU, like, you know, that was a mid to low major. You're flying commercial, whatever it might be. Then all of a sudden you get to the NBA or UCLA. It's like, wow, we're flying private, these big planes where guys can stretch out, whatever it might be. Granted, we're speaking now where most of our flights are pretty small, right? We're going to Vegas. We're going to, you know, Oregon, Washington, whatever it might be. The longest one's going to be, what, two and a half hours, something like that. Guys can get up. They can move, even, like, go through a, a little bit of a mobility flow because the planes are so big. When I was with FAU in the G League, you know, we were sitting there waiting in the airports, whatever it might be. I had guys doing mobility floats constantly, having them stand up on the planes, doing 10 bodyweight squats for every hour they were sitting just anything to promote blood flow. And and they they just they feel the benefits of it, right? It's just, you know how it is. You're sitting there for hours and you're just sitting there. It's bad for your blood flow. Like we all say, it's sedentary lifestyle is bad. And so it's like, you have to break that up. You have to find a way to stand up. Even if it's, you know, you don't want anyone to look at you. Go into the plain bathroom and do 10 body squats. No, No one's going to say anything there, right? But anything that's going to get that lymphatic pump it, you you got to do it. So I'm constantly encouraging my guys to go through uh, some sort of mobility flow. Um, when they get off the planes and we get back to the hotel room, I'm immediately telling them, hey, 50 to 100, 90s, where you're just moving your hips back and forth, hit a mobility flow before you crawl in the bed. Trust me, you're going to feel way better. This year, one of the things I want to do is just even get the guys all mini bands and just have them... As soon as they get to their room, like hit a couple body weight squats or anything like that to just, again, add a slight resistance to get a lymphatic pump and just have them move. Anything that's going to get that blood flow going, especially before they crawl in bed, is going to be huge.
0: Well, we touched on a lot. We touched on nutrition, things to eat, things to minimize. We talked about ankle and hip mobility, strength, and some modalities. Did I miss anything that would be significant to helping athletes reduce anterior knee pain?
1: One thing I want to touch on with anterior knee pain, this is something I'm I'm learning more and more, but the lateral quad, when you follow it from the anterior inferior iliac spine all the way down to like its insertional point, right? Kind of where the tissue combines with the IT band and it kind of just flows into the fibular head, the patellar tendon, everything. It's right in that little gutter, right? At At the insertion point. There seems to be, and this is not a scientific word at all, gunk that gets like built up in that tissue. And you got to think from like the athlete's perspective, how much they push off and they stick laterally. Euro hops, defensive slides, whatever it might be, that force is going somewhere and there's going to be a buildup of tissue. And in my opinion, in that little gutter, just on the insertion of kind of like lateral quad as, as it's coming down. And if you follow it up next to the origination of lateral quad, there just seems to be really tight areas that if you get in there, like and this is for like manual therapists or whoever, even if guys are out there just foam rolling, two spots that you can like really dial in on are those two spots and just get in there and strip it down and then you compare that with some 90 90s, I find that that tends to work really well for reducing anterior knee pain. If there's any dry needle therapists out there like I am, I tend to needle those areas a lot. And it just breaks apart that tissue and we're able to get it to lay more as it's supposed to. And it's just, wow, like it just takes off so much of their knee pain. And I think it's just when you kind of look at our fascial lines, as far as like the IT band coming up and as it crosses our thoracolumbar fascia and then up the body, it makes sense that Those areas, based on the basketball movements, would tend to get more rigid and, in my terms, gunky. And those are the areas that need a little love. And I find that as you go through those, it really opens up the knee a lot. And it provides more movement and kind of more of that internal, external rotation component of the tibia. And it just takes a lot of stress off the patellar tendon.
0: It's cool to hear all the different skill sets that you have. I didn't realize that you did dry needling, the athletic training Mm -hmm. piece. I'm sure there's a lot of hands-on mobility stuff. Actually, I've seen it done here on your Instagram, as well as the strength conditioning. So that's pretty cool. When you have more than one tool, you don't see everything as just a nail if you're a hammer.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to be a one-stop shop for guys. You know, it's always great to refer out, but it's like, if you can be that person that is going to be their resource, I, I just think it makes you more valuable whether it's a person in a school or whoever it might be, right? It's like just trying to make yourself as marketable as possible and to get the most out of it, right? So at times, refer out when you need to, but hopefully you can be that person that, you know, everybody comes to and you're able to help them. So the more tools you have, you know, the better you are.
0: Awesome. Any other words of wisdom for our
1: listeners? Don't stop learning. That's what I'm figuring out now. You know, I thought when I was in college, like I knew it all, stepped into the world of the NBA, realized I didn't know anything. And then, you know, immediately started the process of trying to learn everything inside and out all over again, right? And then the biggest thing I'd say is be be open to new ideas that are foreign, are different. Not everything is cut and dry. There's so much about the body that we don't know, we don't understand. And everything is uh, continuously learning and adapting and growing. So I tell everybody this, or like all the young kids that I talk to, is just don't be afraid to just like ask questions and explore new thoughts and theories because... You never know. Like it might be that one thing that works best for you. You know, I, th- I thought fascia originally was just a like a, a woo-woo joke. And then all of a sudden I started training fascial lines and I realized like people's pains were going away. And I was like, there's got to be something to this, right? So there's just like a lot of variety out there that I think a lot of people write off too soon, but just spend the time. And, you know, if you believe in something, go for it. You know, the, the chances are you're right more than you are wrong. So there's nothing wrong with going after something you believe in.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience and your wisdom. Where can our listeners find out more about
1: you? Instagram is probably my biggest thing, Dr. T Lash. That's where I post everything. I used to have a TikTok, but there's too much going on. Yeah, no, Dr. T Lash on Instagram. Uh, everybody can find me on there.
0: Hopefully, we have another epic UCLA Gonzaga matchup this upcoming season.
1: Man, I hope so. Hopefully, it's in the finals. <laughs>
0: I think we both would like that. Absolutely.
1: Now that's a wrap on
0: episode 109. And I hope you're already planning your commitment for 2023. It's coming whether we're ready or not. So let's be intentional about making it the best year yet. What's one thing that you could do every day for five minutes that would accumulate into something significant? Give it some thought and I'll see you next month. And to all of you who are committed will earn your X.